Здравствуйте, меня зовут Джеффри Симпсон. And I'm Cole Wissinger. I think I confused everybody right there, but it'll make sense in a minute because today on Screen Cleaning, we are going to be covering foreign language films. Anybody know what foreign language I was speaking there at the beginning? It sounded foreign. It sounded <laughs> Russian. <gasps> you got it right. Yeah. Way to go, Cole. Wow. Yes, I was speaking Russian. And uh, I'm not covering a Russian language film, but I think somebody else is. And mm -hmm. we'll find out which one later on in the show. But each and every week on Screen Cleaning, we do our darndest to give you the very best in entertainment news. And today is no exception because we've got a lot of it. And it's all good. Probably not earth-shattering news, but it's news you might find interesting nonetheless. So... I want to give you some news that might uh, cause you to get up and dance a bit. Huh? This is a game that my kids play all the time. Even my 18-month-old, he just he does a little dance in a circle. That's all you know how to do when you're 18 months old. The game you're talking about is Just Dance. Just Dance. And apparently they're making a Just Dance movie because why not? Of course not? you do. Right. What will the story be? To be determined. You know, if they can do it with trolls, they can do it with Just Dance. <laughs> That's true. It is it is a video game adaptation, which absolutely never works as a movie, but maybe because this is so loose and doesn't have a story at all to go with, they can just make it up and it might be good. I'm telling you, a good soundtrack goes a long way. Again, I just keep coming back to trolls. Kids will watch it. Yes. And so will I because I have kids. Uh, you also should go over to IMDb, the Internet Movie Database or Database. Uh, they've come out with a new series. It's a short series called Unmade. And basically, you get to hear failed first pitches from celebrities, you know, before they were famous. One of them is from Rain Wilson of Office fame. Mm-hmm. And I think eventually there's going to be one from Weird Al Yankovic. And then you get to see these pit, these failed pitches acted out. So they actually went out and filmed these uh, scenes from these pitches. And they're only a few minutes long. So it's a good thing. Like if you're on a lunch break, check out Unmade on IMDb. And they, they bleep out the swearing, the major swears. So, you know, it's safe for work. It's roughly trailer length. We also got a trailer for another movie that's on its way a little closer to us than Just Dance, but a little further from home in the actual universe. Ah. Spider-Man Far From Home has a new trailer. It's the, we've been waiting for it for a while. I think they've been waiting because Maybe they had to re-edit it to make sure there would be absolutely no spoilers because this will be released after the end game of the Avengers story. So as you watch Wait the trailer... Minute. How is that possible, though? Because Spider-Man... Spoiler alert. It will be released dies. after Endgame. Right. But there so are it goes theories. Captain Marvel, Endgame... Then Spider-Man. It, it takes place before? No one knows. No. Well, I guess oh, we don't. Boy. But it has to be after, right? Well, you know none of those think. characters are dead because they all have franchises to carry on with, right? Right. So that's why I think it's after. There's there's some sort of solution to whatever. But Tony Maybe? Stark, who played <gasps> a very heavy role in the first Spider-Man, is nowhere to be seen in this trailer. So maybe he does die for real? Fan theory. Fan theory. I mean, I'm I'm not like a... <laughs> pure fan or anything, but maybe the far from home is talking about the afterlife. And maybe everybody in this movie is dead. 
There Have are you plenty seen of the valid fan theories. <laughs> Wait, that's not one come of them. on, <laughs> far from home. How could you? You can't get any farther from home than the afterlife. Alternate dimension. Are you talking about Ant Man? No, that's just oh, the that's quantum the well, that will zone. play. In that's pretty far from home. Too. Realm, not a zone, but all right. Quit giving me a hard time. Speaking <laughs> of another trailer, this is a trailer. Well, it's kind of a teaser trailer. It's a for... teaser the way teasers used to be in that it doesn't show us anything. Right. It's for a <laughs> secret movie. So I've never seen a trailer for a film that hasn't even begun production on the film yet. Yeah, that's interesting. So apparently uh, when you want to make a secret trailer ab- about a reboot or a sequel to an 80s movies, who are you going to call? But Jason Reitman, the son of Ivan Reitman, who directed the original Ghostbusters movie, they're making a secret Ghostbusters movie. Has nothing, and it's not a secret not anymore. A secret Has anymore. nothing to do with the Melissa McCarthy, Paul Feig, or Feig or Feig movie. And I gotta admit, the teaser trailer is pretty cool. So there had been a Ghostbusters three in development, quote unquote, for a very Chris long Hemsworth, time, right? Or no, 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 no it no, was no. Uh, Channing Tatum. No, like yeah. the Ghostbusters three that was supposed to bring back all the original guys. Fans yeah. had been Who's wanting that. Who's in secret for... Ghostbusters? Is it Bill Murray? N- they don't know. No, no one has no been one officially. Knows. No one knows. It's a lot of pressure on that announcement. Anyway, Mickey, I understand that you've got another piece of news that kind of has to do with a reboot. I do. This is something I'm very excited for. We got news this week that Anne Hathaway has been cast in a remake of The Witches. Whoa. She'll be playing the Grand High Witch, the scariest lady maybe ever. (laughs) Now drop the bomb on us of who originated the role of the Grand High Witch. The original role was played by Angelica Houston. Oof. So that's tough shoes to fill. That is going to be a big act to follow. Right. I mean... Granted, they both have Oscars under their belt, mm-hmm. but we're talking about Angelica Houston here. Anne Hathaway does have a while to prepare. This just barely got announced. Like, she just said she would do it. They haven't even started production, so maybe she'll do Un- some warm-ups. Unfortunately, it'll be directed by Robert Zemeckis, whom I love. I mean, I love mm-hmm. his movies from the 80s and 90s. So how much Anne Hathaway are we really going to see? Are the witches going to end is up some kind be... of motion capture yeah. Yeah. CGI, CGI thing, which is Zemeckis' thing? This is, I mean, this is going to be a tough act to follow anyway because the original film that's, is you're a dealing with little really known thing from the 80s. You're that... dealing with my childhood there. I watched Your that movie. Childhood. Oh, I, I wore that VHS out. I saw for it for sure. the first time last Halloween. I watched it at school in like fifth grade. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. There's another movie that's not – it's a sequel, a proper sequel, um, and they're making two of them. Christopher McQuarrie got signed. The man that's given us the past couple missions, Impossible, is making two more, and they're filming them at the same time so that they get the most out of Tom Cruise while he's still um, running and not walkering. And you basically get the Costco discount because yeah. they're buying in bulk. Exactly. Right? They yeah. know they're going to make two more of them. Just So why not? Film them. So if you're not familiar with Christopher McQuarrie, he directed part five and part six, and now it's going to be parts seven and eight. Mm-hmm. And he won an Oscar for a little-known film, you know, called The Usual Suspects. You may have heard of it. Yes. But he only wrote that one. He didn't direct that one. That was Brian Singer, 
whose film Bohemian Rhapsody may or may not be nominated for an Oscar, and we're going to find oh, out. Oh, boy, next week. On by the time, Tuesday. By the time we talk to you next, we will know some Oscar nominations. We'll talk to you about that then. Okay, just real quick. Does anybody have any uh, surefire nominees and then maybe a couple of out-of-the-blue nominees that could show up? Stars born. I looked at some math today. Okay. The Variety did a, a mathematical analysis. Stars born had like 99.8% okay. <laughs> prediction of being nominated. Of being nominated. Okay. Yeah. Not of winning. They don't know who's going to win, Yet. but of being mm. nominated. So, Stars born will see a lot of nominations. Just give us a crazy prediction. How about a foreign language film being nominated for Best Picture? Like mm-hmm. Roma, that'll happen. Yeah, I that's think that's got a, a pretty shoe high. In. That was another ninety-eight something. Like you know, what would be a great dark horse Best Picture candidate, A Quiet Place, which would be it would be a shame if it got totally shut out at the Oscars. I think if there's a horror movie that's going to break through that genre barrier, it's going to be Hereditary, which was a very mm. gritty and horrifying R-rated horror. But, but that was pretty polarizing. Tony Collette's performance, though, right, in the Best the Actress, I. I hope that she – I could be happy with her being nominated. I don't think Hereditary was very good. Okay, now, uh, between A Quiet Place and uh, Black Panther, which is the better movie? I am a Quiet Place fan. I enjoyed Quiet Place more. And yet Black Panther has a decent shot of being nominated for Best So Picture. much like Netflix trying to spend a lot of money – and I'm, I'm going to talk about this when I talk about the foreign language film Roma. They're spending a lot to – by that Oscar nomination just to legitimize themselves as a platform, sure. just like they bought a lot of their early Emmy nominations as well so that mm-hmm. people thought that they were a prestige TV platform. Uh, Marvel, I think this is very important for Disney. They see this like little opening that maybe Black Panther could get a chance, and so now they're flooding the money in to make sure that it does so that they can be seen as a more prestigious sure. uh, especially thing. especially since the academy did a, a complete 180 on the popular category black so, panther's going to win it <laughs> that was um, good news it'll also be interesting to see what who gets snubbed because there's been a lot of controversy i don't think any more so in this oscar campaign i've seen it more as a political race because there are a lot of smear campaigns like, mm, how can we destroy these other films' chances of being nominated <laughs> and winning an award? And Green Book might take a few hits, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see on Tuesday. So, Cole, I understand you saw a movie that is Won't get nominated for any Oscars. Not going to get nominated, <laughs> but it'll make a decent amount of money. Right. I hope so. So this is the sequel to 2000's Unbreakable and 2017's Split. It is 2019's Glass. All three were written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. So Glass tells the story of three superpowered beings, or are they? So in 2000's Unbreakable, we were introduced to Samuel L. Jackson playing Mr. Glass and Bruce Willis playing the Green Guardian, or he goes by many other nom de plumes. David Dunn is his proper name. Okay. And David Dunn finds out that he has superpowers. He's a little stronger than your normal man. He can kind of sense when people are doing wrong around him. And Samuel L. Jackson leads him on the way of becoming a superhero. And at the end, Samuel L. Jackson was a bad guy. <gasps> now, I want to point out that Mickey Randall is covering her ears right now so as to not have these 
twist ending spoiled so callously by Cole Wissinger. <laughs> In 2017's Split, a sequel, or we didn't know that until the movie got to its conclusion, James McAvoy plays a man with DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, mm-hmm. and he has 23 identities living inside of him that were kind of born out of trauma early in his life. He captures three young high school girls and plans to... Uh, eat them when he turns into the 24th identity, the beast. And it's kind of a horror movie. It's very different tonally than Unbreakable, and we didn't know it was a sequel until the end when we're watching a newsreel talking about what happened in the movie, and we see Bruce Willis just sitting at the bar saying, I remember when that happened, and his name, Mr. Glass, was like that, or it was it was kind of a sloppy tie-in. But it was a tie-in <laughs> that led us to Glass. Now, and Glass is the amazing story of these two movies coming together to make one cohesive story about what it means to be a hero, who heroes are in our world, and what kind of repercussions would happen from the government or from other organizations when they see superpowered beings exist. It's a story mm. that both Marvel's Civil War and DC's Dawn of Justice Batman versus Superman movie tried to tackle, and I think this did it better. Really? It was a very I really, really liked this movie. I understand what critics are getting down on it for. You have to understand in the world of glass, comic books exist. Normally in your DC and Marvel movies, they ignore Superman that he's around. But mm-hmm. Mr. Glass, Samuel L. Jackson, is a big comic book fan. And so when he like looks at the audience and winks and said, this is the part in the comic where this happens, it he, is kind of... He breaks the fourth wall in this film? He walks up to it and pushes against it. He he doesn't properly break the fourth wall, but it, hmm. it can get kind of cringy and I can understand why people don't like it. But it's important and it's important to his character and it makes sense if you watch... Unbreakable, which I know happened 19 years ago now. but Some of the reviews that I've read have said that M. Night Shyamalan has likely never read a comic book in his life. The way that this movie he is He does presented. get a couple things messy. It would be important to understand the difference between an event comic and a limited release and an origin story. Some of these things get muddled during the course of it. And I think he fumbles the ending, and I am not going to give away the twist. That <gasps> is there a may- twist ending? There is because M. Night Shyamalan is known for his twists. So as we go out to break, I put together a little package in honor of his most recent release where I, spoiler alert, spoil all of M. Night Shyamalan's movies. If uh, you haven't seen them before and you plan on, maybe uh, skip ahead. I will not minutes. be listening. So you're the real villain, Cole. Ah, uh, that is possible. The year is 1999, not when Chubby Checker first sang that song, but when M. Night Shyamalan first released The Sixth Sense and forever associated himself with the twist ending. So now, 20 years later, and at the release of Glass, with its not one but two twist endings, let's do the twist again. The Sixth Sense. Haley Joel Osment confides in his child psychologist Bruce Willis that he can see dead people. And that sometimes they don't even know they're dead. Twist, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Unbreakable. They say this one has a surprise ending. They sure do, Mama Glass. Bruce Willis this time plays an unbreakable man that survives a train crash. Samuel L. Jackson is a man with fragile bones named Mr. Glass. They form a superhero partnership until Twist... Sam Jackson was the bad guy the whole time, and he sabotaged Bruce Willis's train. Signs. 
Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix start seeing crop circles in their cornfield, which can only mean one thing, aliens. These not-so-little gray men get into their house, but twist, they burn when exposed to a glass of water. The Village A monster is terrorizing an old-timey village, but when townsperson Joaquin Phoenix needs medicine, they let blind Bryce Dallas Howard venture into the forest and beyond. What is past the tree line? Twist the modern world. Lady in the Water Bryce Dallas Howard is a lady in the apartment complex pool. Uh, Paul Giamatti was in this one, I think. Twist? I uh, haven't actually seen this one. The Happening Oh boy, so people are unexplicably committing suicide, Mark Wahlberg is confused, and something is happening. Whatever's happening is happening. Twist, it was the trees. The Last Airbender. Shyamalan signs on to adapt 20 episodes of one of the greatest animated television shows of all time, and twist, it is terrible. Devil. Five people are trapped in an elevator for the whole movie. One of them might be the actual devil. Twist, it was the old lady. After Earth. It takes place a thousand years in the future, but twist, not in Philadelphia and not with a Shyamalan cameo. The Visit. Two kids go over the river and through the woods to their grandparents' house. Twist, their grandparents are crazy and trying to kill them, but double twist, not actually their grandparents. It is a couple of murderers escaped from a local mental hospital. Split. James McAvoy has dissociative identity disorder and 23 distinct personalities. A few of those personalities want to bring out a 24th known as the Beast. The Beast eats a couple high school girls, but not Anya Taylor-Joy, and she escapes from Twist, the zoo. They were in the basement of a zoo the whole time, and the beast is based on those animals. Better twist, though, it was kind of a sequel to Unbreakable, setting up glass. Just kidding. I won't spoil the twist in this one. the name of this song is, but it sounds a little pretentious, Cole. Gasp. What could we possibly be talking about? (laughs) You know, that's a little unfair to say that all foreign language films are pretentious, but maybe it's one reason why people don't watch them more. And later on in the show, we are going to ask Mickey Randall to explain to us or to shed some light on why it is not very many people enjoy foreign language films. But we did a little exercise on the show uh, or in preparation for the show in that we checked out a few foreign language films each because we wanted to kind of see, now, what is it? Why don't we watch more of these films? Because the three that I watched, I actually quite enjoyed. I don't know about you guys. Broaden our horizons, see what's out there. Learn something new. And I will admit it's a bit of a risk because you're taking a film that's not generally well-known in the States and you're giving it a chance. You're committing to read the entire movie, which is part of the reason people watch movies is so they don't have to read. (laughs) 
But uh, we might uh, we might may have found some films that you might want to check out. Yep, we tackled three films each, so it'll be nine in total, and it's nine different languages being spoken through all of these as well. And as I understand, Cole, the the first one you want to talk about is a film that has a pretty good shot at being nominated for Best Picture Let's this year. Let's start with the one we've already been talking about on the show. I watched Roma, directed by Alfonso Cuarón, yes. who is a former Best Director. In fact, him along with the other to for uh, gravity right you went for gravity yeah yeah so there's three Mexican foreign language directors <laughs> that are lovingly or maybe racistly the, called the Three Amigos. They should just be called um, the Triumvirate or something. The Mexican Triumvirate. Inurito, Curan, and Del Toro, and in four of the past five years, they've won Best Director. Although wow. for English language films, they all speak Spanish natively, and so I watched a Spanish language film. I also watched Del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth this week, but that's a little. I realized it was a little too R for our program. Okay. Roma, to be fair, also gets the R rating, but for one one little scene of of a little bit of nudity, if you can skip past that, know where it's at. And you can um, skip it; it's, you'll still understand the movie, right? And so it's it's very watchable, but it is slow. I think this is also a good place to start our conversation because this felt like a foreign film to me. There's a lot mm. of long panning shots of nature or capturing the oeuvre of the 1970s in Mexico. And it's more of an experience and an atmosphere than it is necessarily a fast quipping movie that my American mind is used to. Interesting. Because when I think of foreign films, I think a lot of people, they go, they immediately think of French depressing foreign language French films, you know, like cinema. the editing's weird or it's like you're watching a perfume commercial or something. Right. You Doesn't can tell it's sense. low budget sometimes. Right. Like they focus so much on the imagery. But uh, speaking of budget for a second, Roma had a 15 million dollar budget and it was produced by Netflix. Netflix, as I mentioned before, wants this to make uh, waves in the Oscar conversation. They have now spent 25 million dollars in four year consideration campaigns, which Exceeds its budget to make the actual movie. <laughs> which Something I found with that. Fun. Yeah, there's no way yeah. it won't get a nomination. So, speaking of French films, mine is He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not. Now, this didn't have any of the things I just mentioned. It wasn't filmed like it was a perfume commercial with, like, you know, these pining lovers that are running to each other across the beach or anything like that. Uh, none of that. That's like an American romance novel. Actual French cinema really doesn't have a lot of that. Right. But this is I, – I, it's difficult because I can't tell you about this movie. I can't tell you about it. Because you didn't speak French? No. Because you didn't watch it? <laughs> no. Because the less I tell you about it, the better experience you will have. It's one of those movies that you can't know anything about the plot. You have to go in blind. So what was the experience of the movie then? Well, just look at the title. He loves me. He loves me not. Okay. So you have this woman played by Audrey Tattoo, I believe is how you say it. She was in Amelie, which is a foreign film that a lot of people in America are familiar with. And she's in love with this man. And the film, I will tell you this, it's told – the story is told from two different perspectives – Okay, I will tell you that. It's a psychological drama. It's kind of it could be considered a thriller, I guess. I will say it's rather predictable. You kind of figure out pretty soon what's happening. Um don't read any plot descriptions you find anywhere. 
But I will say the ending of this film is one of the more satisfying film endings I've seen in a while. And we've been talking a lot lately about film endings that just don't stick the landing. This one does. Check it out. You can watch it. If you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. It's rated PG-13. There are some heavy uh, elements of it, but there's not a ton of language. There's no uh, nudity. So it's a safer bet, but don't read any of the plot descriptions. Just press play and sit back and enjoy. He loves me. He loves me not. Good advice. Okay, I would like to talk about a film from Russia, the motherland. And this is kind of <laughs> a a double threat because not only is it foreign, so it's in Russian, you have to read captions, it's also silent. Oh. Um but that being said, it's only an hour. So are there are there like Russian subtitles? There are, yeah, they have title cards like you see in yeah. any silent yeah. film, and then below they'll have the English translation. <laughs> <You> got, wow! <laughs> but you can watch yeah. it on YouTube. It's only an distracting. hour, uh, and it's very important if you're interested at all in any kind of film history. So this is directed by Sergei Eisenstein, who's very very famous um, in terms of film, and he. And his film school pioneered the concept of editing. So when you watch Battleship Potemkin, watch for the way that it's edited. Hmm. Also, they have a very famous sequence called the Odessa Staircase. And I won't give too much away, but it's been alluded to in a lot of other films and TV shows. So really? you maybe will recognize parts of it. So this is the film that anybody going through film school is going to have to watch at some point. Right, right. So might as well get it over with. You'll sound educated to your friends if you've seen Battleship Potemkin. And it's it's pretty easy to watch as far as silent films go. I did enjoy it. Hmm. I've seen it twice, actually. Okay. So I recommend. Yeah, there's a lot of different kinds of foreign cinema. This was an old propaganda piece, right? Right, right. Based on real events. Mm-hmm. So, so far we've got Mexico, France, and Russia. Cole, what was your next country? So let's take you to South Korea, hmm. where we're not going to pay attention to any of the pretension or film school knowledge that the other films <laughs> might have given us. We're going to watch a zombie movie done right with Train to Busan. Okay. It, where it's a very easy for American digestible movie, but it's just all in Korean, so you have to read some subtitles. It is my favorite seriously done zombie movie. There's a couple zombie comedies that I like, maybe a little more because I like them, but this is the best straight zombie movie I've ever seen. It takes place mainly in a train going to the city of Busan. But that that closed quarters nature and the way the zombies move from one end of the train to the oh, other yeah. and seeing our heroes have to go outside and get back in and, and eventually they do leave the train, but they see that there's zombies elsewhere as well. So it gives a reason for them to be back in the closed quarters. It's not just why don't you leave the house kind of a horror movie. <laughs> it's it's really, really good, and it just happens to be in a different language. So A Train to Busan, a movie you can really sink your teeth into. Just like the zombies in the movie, Jeff. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my next pick is a German film, and it's actually a remake of another one of those films that you're likely to be required to watch in film school. Uh, a remake of Nosferatu, F.W. Murnau, 1922, made a film. And I want to talk about that film for just a minute. I've actually never seen it, but I, I did some research on that film, 
while researching this other film that I'm about to talk about. And apparently they couldn't get the rights to uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. So they kind of changed the names and that's why you've got Nosferatu and he's not count, he's not count or called Count Dracula. So they did it so that they could avoid copyright infringement. Didn't work. They got sued. They were ordered to destroy all the copies of the film and clearly some of the copies survived because <laughs> we now have it at our disposal today. Well, this film is called Nosferatu the Vampire spelled V A M P Y R or Y R E Vampire. Yes. And this is both a a version of Bram Stoker's Dracula and it's an homage to uh the original 1922 Nosferatu, okay? It's directed by Werner Herzog. You may have heard that name before. He does a lot of documentaries, and he's even acted in in a few things. He was a, a villain in a Tom Cruise film, <laughs> if you remember that Jack Reach uh, Jack Reacher movie. So this film, I will say, is probably more pretty to look at than to enjoy and watch year after year after year. The cinematography is amazing. But there are long stretches of film shots where it's focusing on fog or it's focusing on a mountain. And it's it's shot in a way that the first few times it happens, you're waiting for the fog to part and, like, reveal Count Dracula's castle. Never happens. (laughs) You just focus on the fog for about 30 seconds same thing with the mountains. Okay, who's going to come creeping out from behind the mountains? Nobody. We just want to show these mountains. Um, so it is a rather slow-moving film, but the guy that they got to play, Count Dracula, is quite good. It's practically bloodless, and there are some really creepy scenes in this film. So, Cole, it's probably one that you want to check out being the horror fan yeah, that you so are. Yeah, so foreign – That we kind of paired these two together back to back because foreign languages do horror really well. This was in German, right? Nosferatu? Right. Uh, one of the original birthplaces of horror as a genre was also a German-language silent film called The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Mm. And the way they film everything, just the way they built their sets, it was – filmed in the 20s and so they didn't exactly have CGI to make it seem creepy so they painted the sets in like this optical illusion kind of way mm-hmm. um, and you will watch it if you're in film school that's, yeah. that is a must <laughs> yeah. but for a horror fan I recommend it as well because you can kind of see where some of the things we do now came from you know one thing I noticed about my three picks and I'll, I will reveal my third one when we come back from the break but they're all like suspense, thriller, horror films. And a couple of yours, or at least one of yours is that way, Cole, as well. So, yeah, maybe foreigners just do horror and suspense really, really well. And when I watch Train to Busan, it it feels like it's got a lot of American film in it, but that's because of a lot of Asia, when they go to see their movies, they're what bolsters some of our bigger, larger American action movies yeah. as well. So when when you see filmmakers even make it in their own language, sometimes they take some of that. You know, your older German language horror, Americans stole things from there, but your more recent Asian language horror, they're 
they can steal back from us. It's fine. It's all a circle. And we want to point out, too, that we're not just talking foreign films because you've probably seen a ton of foreign films and not even realized you're watching a foreign film. But you've likely never seen very many foreign language films. The UK and New Zealand and (laughs) Australia were disqualified. And we wanted to know why that is. So we sent Mickey Randall out to talk to some students about why is it that people in America tend to not watch very many foreign language films? Hi, I'm Mickey Randall, and as you've probably noticed, we're talking about foreign films today. So, what is the deal with foreign films, and how do people in America feel about it? I hit the streets and asked around. Here's what I found. Have you ever watched a foreign film? Once I did. What was it called? Life is Beautiful. Well, Pan's Labyrinth, I don't know if that counts. Bajo la misma luna. Um, Amelie. There are several animes by Studio Ghibli. Those are, those are always a lot of fun. The Others is kind of a foreign film. It looks like most people I talked to had seen a foreign film, but I did get a lot of this. Ooh, what was it called? Can't remember what it was called. I have no idea. They locked themselves in the courtroom. I don't know the name. It doesn't matter. I don't remember. And I don't remember the title. It came in halfway through. So if most people have seen a foreign film, maybe in a college class, do they like watching foreign films? I think that watching foreign films is really interesting because, you know, you hear, like, you know, different ways that directors will use music or different emphases they place on, like, the dialogue. I feel like there are, you'll have to read the captions. And I just would rather relax when I watch a movie and not read a bunch it's more true to like film as an art than film as a business. Unique plots and they are able to, to portray a perspective in a different kind of film style that isn't usually seen in the United States because I think that in the United States things are kind of like communal and a little bit just the same. You have to read the subtitles the whole time. I also didn't think it was relatable. I thought that there were problems in the movie that I was watching that I couldn't relate to. I think that it gives you a, a deeper insight into like the everyday life of just people in, in other countries. And even if it's not into the everyday life, then it's just a deeper insight into the culture of the country. After all of that, I think foreign films can be difficult to watch, but they're also important to watch because there's definitely a lot to learn. So if you've never seen a foreign film, now just might be the time to watch one. We did neglect to pick a film from India on our list, and so I wanted to come back with a little bit of Bollywood. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Just before the break, we had Mickey Randall do a little experiment for us and go out and see why people are hesitant to watch these foreign language films that we've been talking about. Some of the people gave some of the reasons, and it sounded like some of those people were somewhat well-versed in foreign language films, certainly more than I am. That was a little better uh, audience than I expected. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I tried to diversify. Good job. (laughs) So... Now, why don't we take a few minutes before we share our last few foreign language film picks and talk about maybe why we don't watch as many foreign language films as we probably should. I can start off. So mine's a mine's a derivative of the reading thing. I don't mind reading a movie. I really, really don't. Mm-hmm. It's I read books. That's fine. I can read. <laughs> but 
and, and it's not like I turn my brain off when I watch movies either. Sometimes that's your complaint. I like to be intellectually engaged when I watch a movie. But the reason I don't enjoy subtitles, even on an English language movie, my, oh, I have a friend, the friend that I watch the most movies with, always, if we're at home, will watch with subtitles. And it drives me nuts because <laughs> I can't focus on what's being said. Your eyes are drawn to the subtitles. And to me, my favorite part of movies is dialogue and communication and the way those words are delivered by the actors. And if I don't understand the language that is being spoken, which is every language other than English, I am missing out on a little bit of the nuance or the wordplay or that fun stuff that actors can bring to language that doesn't get translated to just text but yeah. you can't eat chips as loud as you want if you have the <laughs> captions on that's true that's true just not when seeing a quiet place um for me it's probably a combination of not wanting to read and also not knowing anything about the movie i mean usually when i see a movie i know what i'm getting into right so it seems like there's more risk involved with a foreign language film and that again that just has to do with the fact that these are films that aren't marketed for americans right so we're not watching the trailers of them we're not really hearing anything about them until like you said they're nominated for an academy award and then we think oh yeah we should go check these films out so yeah Partly not wanting to read and partly not wanting to take the risk. Yeah, that's that's kind of my same deal, too. Uh, it's hard to know what foreign films are available. And that's why a, a good role, I think, for the Academy Awards is they do highlight foreign films like they did for one I watched, which is called... Life is Beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I had never seen it. This I one escaped this one. just the foreign language category that the Oscars have and made it to Best Picture. Best Picture, and it won Best Actor, which it maybe deserved. And that's a, an acceptance speech that you won't soon forget. <laughs> Roberto Benigni climbing over all the seats and <laughs> saying he wants to hug and kiss everybody. And yeah. Yeah, he's a funny guy. So Life is Beautiful, if you haven't heard of it, definitely watch it. If you have had a bad experience with foreign films in the past, or if you've never seen one, this is a great starting place. It's very easy to watch. Super accessible. Right. Not a lot of reading, but still a wonderful, beautiful film. And I don't want to give away too much. I'm not even going to tell you the plot. It's an Italian. It's from Italy. It's a lighthearted view of the Holocaust, if you can do that. Mm -hmm. And he figured out how to do it somehow. Showing that life is beautiful. Life is beautiful. All right. That uh, came out in 1997. Just three years later in the Oscars for the year 2000, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon Mm -hmm. was an entirely Chinese language film that was nominated for Best Picture. Also that year, uh, Chocolat, which is half French, got nominated for Best Picture as well. I think these two films, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and Life is Beautiful, are likely the only two foreign language films I've seen in the movie theater. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah. I am not sure if I've seen any. Wow. I'm theater. trying to remember. But with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I grew up, my dad was a big fan of kung fu movies or Godzilla movies. And so I grew up reading subtitles. I'm, I'm used to, or having uh, Asian languages dubbed over and the mouth is not quite matching up. And to me, for the longest time, because I was only eight when this came out, I just put it in that same bucket of bad kung fu movies and just thought it was Mm -hmm. the same as all the Mm -hmm. others. And then just this week, I got to revisit it and realize just how beautiful and deserving of a Best Picture nominee this was. The themes of 
this older couple that couldn't be together and the culture that goes into that and and kind of the almost super heroic origins of this new girl that's on the scene and using her kung fu powers to steal this cool sword and it's it's an amazing story and it's so beautifully shot more so than than your average just bruce lee beat him up and then it also has really well choreographed fights as well i love crouching tiger hidden dragon i think we have crouching tiger hidden dragon and the matrix to thank for a lot of these uh camera movements and special effects that we see in movies today. And I wish we would get long, long, well-shot fight scenes like we did there in 99 and 2000 because uh, right around that same time also the Bourne Identity came out and gave us the antithesis of long, wide shots of fights where it's very shaky cam and cuts (laughs) and edits all over the place. So you're getting one or the other. I personally prefer the dramatic and beautiful Crouching Tiger approach. So the final film that I want to talk about, again, is a thriller. Maybe I'm drawn to thrillers. I I think maybe I am. Um, But this one is called The Vanishing. I I don't believe it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. However, it has rave reviews. And once you see it, you'll know why. So before I talk about this film, I want to talk about another foreign film it's not a foreign language film but it's called the day of the jackal this is one of the most realistic in my mind realistic suspense movies out there i love movies like the fugitive and the day of the jackal where the types of people that are on the police force are not these young, hot blondes or like chiseled guys that are just out of the academy or look like they're, you know, they just moved out of their parents' house type of thing. Channing Tatum visiting the White House. Right. That's not realistic. (laughs) You want to see like middle-aged people (laughs) that look like they don't have much of a social life. I guess maybe you do, not the general movie (laughs) going public. No, I do because you want to see something that's realistic. You don't want to – when you go to see these movies – Let me just sum it up by saying this. Less is more. Okay? So you want – I when I see these movies, I want to see people acting the way that those people would actually act. I don't want like these melodramatic scenes or like these big bursts of energy because let's face it. The bulk of these jobs, you spend most of the time doing – like almost 100% of the time, I'm sure, doing the most boring work you could imagine. Like the the most mundane, just like we have to search through millions of papers type of thing. Really boring, not, I dare I say, not sexy stuff, right? But the Day of the Jackal does this, uh, uh, you know, adopts this principle quite well of less is more because it becomes this, you know, very methodical this police detective is is not overly emotional, and they always just seem to be one step behind this bad guy. So it's kind of the same with The Vanishing. Less is more. This is a story about a – I don't think they're married. I think they're just boyfriend and girlfriend. They're um, just driving through the country, and they're having what sounds just like a mundane conversation – and getting into a little bit of an argument. And they stop at this uh, rest stop. And the woman goes in to use the restroom or something. And the boyfriend just sits out and waits for her out by the car. Goes and sits under a tree. 
few minutes go by. He's still waiting. 10 minutes go by. No girlfriend. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. The girl hasn't come back. The boyfriend goes into the rest stop and there's a shop in there. She's nowhere to be found. And he comes back to the car, starts searching outside. She's gone. She's vanished without a trace. Hence the title, The Vanishing. Okay. So you're about 30 minutes into this movie. And all of a sudden, you get introduced to this other guy who it turns out, 30 minutes in the movie, you discover this. He was the person that abducted this guy's girlfriend. And from that point on, it kind of goes back and forth between the two of them. You get to see the process of this kidnapper. You get to see him rehearsing, like workshopping new methods of uh, of abducting people. He has different contraptions that he puts on his arms, like different packages. And one of the creepiest scenes in the movie is when he is out at his country house with his family. So you get to see his wife and his two kids, which totally seem normal and like a loving family. And he, uh, you know, they're just striking up a conversation and somebody says something about, I, I, I could be misremembering this, but I think somebody says like, oh, I saw a spider or something. And he's like, really? Well, when you saw the spider, like, did you scream? Like, what did your scream sound like? And so then it's the family practice. It's a family screaming, the fam, little known to the family. They're actually helping him figure out just how loud of a scream they can go and see if anybody, any of their neighbors can hear it. He's a very judicious criminal. Super, super creepy. This has uh, one of the creepiest endings of a thriller you'll ever see, too. It's called The Vanishing. The director of this, and I forgot to mention this film is from the Netherlands. The same director that did this did an American version of this starring Jeff Bridges and Kiefer Sutherland. I think Nancy Travis was in it. And he changes the ending and it got horrible, horrible reviews. So maybe a lesson to foreign uh, film directors. Don't remake your own film (laughs) in a different language. A lot of these films... They don't do that, but they'll re-release it with English, the English language dubbed over it. Well, see, and you bring up a good point. A lot of times it's even the same director visiting their own movie. There's a very R-rated, and I do not recommend to children, movie called Funny Games that Mm, was a foreign mm -hmm. language film that was then just remade in American. There's a French horror as well called Let the Right One In. Or the French yeah, version is called right. "Let Me In." The American no, is no, 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 backwards. Yeah, "Let the Right One In" is the is the, the French, one. and yeah. then America made a version called "Let Me In." So a lot of times they understand that we have these reservations as an English speaking audience to read subtitles, and so they'll just remake the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's a a good point with to very bring up mixed, as we talk about these very mixed results. Very mixed usually results. with not good results. Let's right. be honest. Just go watch the original. Yeah. So, Mickey, I understand you're going to talk about another film that was nominated for an Oscar. It was, and it won. So oh, this it did. Wow. is from Japan, winner of Best uh, Animated Feature, and directed by Hayao Miyazaki, one of my favorite filmmakers. Really? Yes. <laughs> no idea who that is. So if you've heard of Studio Ghibli, he has a lot of animated films, but I think Spirited Away, which is what I want to talk about, is kind of his magnum opus. And it's about a young girl that's moving, so hard enough when you're like 10 or 11 like this girl is. 
and she's her she stops with her parents uh, on their road trip. They're driving in the car, um, and they find this mysterious food, and the parents start eating it, hmm. and come to find out that was actually the food of the river spirits, and it was sacred, and they weren't supposed to touch it. The parents turn into pigs, and it's up to Jihiro to save them. That's kind of terrifying. It is. So if this is, on one hand, a beautiful movie, good for kids. It can be a little creepy if your kids are get creeped out. So That's kind of an anime theme, though. Beyond even Studio Ghibli movies, the animation is really, really beautiful, but it's mm-hmm. very different right. from what kids are used right. to seeing on Nickelodeon or Disney Channel. I thought everybody knows you don't eat mysterious food. Well, not these Unless you're parents. a college kid, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It, the food looks pretty delicious, I have to say. Even okay. even as a real person, not in an animated world, hmm. it would be tempting not to eat it. Tempting to eat it, I guess. Um, but it also, if you have young kids and you do want to show them this, the dubbed version isn't as bad as it would be on a on a live action film because it is animated, so it's not as distracting to see the lips out of sync. That's a good point. Yeah. Oh, that is a luxury they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as a right. kid, I grew up with that kind of stuff. I was a product of the 90s and watched a lot of Dragon Ball Z, Digimon, Pokemon, and they take the same animation and just kind of dub it with American yeah. actors. So to... it might be better to watch the the subtitled one, but if you've got young kids and you want them to see this, the dubbed version works. And this brings up another awesome point to talk about as we talk about foreign cinema is Coco, which is a movie that, of course, we all love, um, is very themed by Mexico, right? And the filmmakers and everyone that was a part of it, there were a lot of Mexican heritage people. When they released it in Mexico, it wasn't subtitled or dubbed with different actors. They actually went in and reanimated the lips to make their lips say what they were saying in Mexican and they reanimated the lips to say what the lips were saying in American when they did that as well. Which so is insane. That's right. such that's the dedication. Kind of t- that's really respectful is what it's it is awesome. to Mexican yeah. culture, which is awesome. And I mean, they made a ton of money there. Yeah. A Pixar, a Pixar movie takes like half a decade to create anyway, let alone you know, mm-hmm. animating it twice, basically for the all the all the mouth motion was Sheesh. done. I, I think that that is just a cool thing to bring up anytime for foreign cinema. A lot of times, we Americans just kind of get the American version slapped on, um, but you can you can take care with making your movies. Well, what do you think, you guys? Do you think after performing this little exercise, do you think you're more likely to to check out more foreign language films? I am. I would love to see some of the ones that you both talked about. Sounded very interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the very least, I guess you could just start with the films that are nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Award. Start from there. It's a good starting place. There's a whole foreign cinema category that will be released as well. And we'll find out who's nominated next week. (laughs) Ooh, that's exciting. On Tuesday... Well, there you have it, nine foreign language films that you may not have heard of before, but you might want to check out. And hopefully from there, you won't be so scared anymore to dive into the world of foreign language film. And you don't even have to be a film student to enjoy them. Imagine that. (laughs) Well, when we return, we are going to be doing our Panning for Good segment, as well as hearing once again from Mickey Randall about a duel between Netflix and Hulu when we return. This is Screen Cleaning.
Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We've been talking foreign language films today here on the program. And before we wrap up, we want to turn things over to Mickey Randall, who's going to be talking to us about two streaming services that are going to be competing this weekend. And I'll let Mickey explain why that is. Okay, this is a really hot topic right now, so we have to address it on the show. So a few months ago, years ago, there was this big music festival that was being planned People spend tens of thousands of dollars on tickets and accommodations. They get there. It was all fake. None of it was real. Such a scam. Build up as the next Woodstock for our generation. Right, right. Like a Coachella-type place. Didn't even exist. Um, Well-documented because of social media. So then, fast forward a few months, and Netflix announces that they're making a documentary about... um, this this festival, which was called the Fire Festival, Fire with a Y instead of an I, and they announced it'll be coming out on January eighteenth today, and so on Monday, Hulu released their own Fire Festival documentary, <laughs> not to be outdone. I have not yet seen the Netflix one. I did watch the Hulu one, and here's what I have to say about it: This one is for the kids. Be careful where you spend your money. Hmm. <laughs> Always research your big purchases. Yeah, don't and ever don't give, get scammed. <laughs> don't get your don't give your money to like the prince of some African country that you've never heard yeah. of, who is you know giving you he's like gifting you millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is uh, send your credit card number, and... right? Or you have to all you have to do is deposit this check for him. Yeah, don't listen to it. So watch this movie or don't watch it. But either way. Be careful with your money. This is a fun story. I love I love the streaming services fighting each other. <laughs> and the fact that Hulu... I mean, I've seen things that say the Hulu documentary isn't as well done from people that have seen both. And I just... I like the fact that they beat them to it. I don't care that it wasn't yeah. as oh, yeah. good. It's funny. Yeah. I wonder how that will affect the ratings, though. Hmm. Is there one that's longer than the other? Do you know? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't even looked at the Netflix one. I The Hulu one was well done, I think. Okay. All right. I mean, it's still the same story. They probably interview. And I think the guy that that committed the fraud is a producer on one of these yeah, versions. Yeah, they're both a little unethical, to be honest. <laughs> the Hulu one paid the guy, like the main scam artist, to yeah. be in the movie, which is unethical. And then the Netflix one was produced by people that were involved with the whole scam. Now I thought so you they're still making money. I yeah. thought you couldn't make money on crimes that you committed, and yet this guy figured he scammed the he scammed the streaming companies. <laughs> yeah, he is in jail now, and right, he should be in jail. If I learned anything mm. from that documentary, he got like a six year sentence. Spoiler alert! Whoa, had anybody well, heard of this before <laughs> these series? Yes. Young people. It was young all people. over social media. Speaking of young, I, can you please <laughs> explain to me what Coachella is? I don't know what that is. It's, this Music. will actually help you understand the Appeal of Fire Festival. Okay. So it's just like a ton of all the popular artists and there's food and there's celebrities all coming. Social so just media like, influencers. Yeah, like kind of the epitome of millennial culture, which hurts hurts me to say that. Hmm. But that's kind of how they're marketing this these helps. kind of things. This helps because whenever I hear Coachella, I think of Nutella. Is there Nutella at Coachella? There probably is. Okay. But I say don't go to Coachella 
just buy some Nutella. All and right. Only and have listen to music in your five car. Five bucks <laughs> instead of thousands. You know, if you don't watch that this weekend, there is another film that you could check out, and this is going to be for our Panning for Good segment. There's good in them dire hills. Well, if you're keeping score at home and if you're listening to this uh, either live or if you're downloading it around July, January... Uh, 19th, then you are aware that this weekend we celebrate the life of Martin Luther King Jr. Yes, we do. Monday is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's a national holiday. And there is a film that I recently watched called Selma. This is not a film that made a ton of money uh, in the United States or really anywhere around the world. It made a decent – it definitely made its money back. It was nominated for Best Picture. It was nominated for Best Original Song and won. Mm -hmm. We can now say Academy Award winner Common. Yeah. You're familiar with the rapper Common. And it documents the – or it it focuses on the march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama – by Martin Luther King Jr. and all those who were trying to fight for their right to vote. There was a lot of this I wasn't aware of watching this film. Now, I have to admit it's not a documentary, so there are some creative licenses that are taken, especially in the form of the way that the relationship between Martin Luther King Jr. and LBJ um, actually was in real life. So you have to kind of take that part of it with a grain of salt. But the people that are mentioned in this film were actual people. Some of them died. And all of them were, like I said, fighting for their right to vote. I had no idea that if you wanted to – back then, you were legally allowed to vote if you were an African-American. However, a lot of these southern – County registrar, voting registrar offices would make it so difficult that even though you were legally technically allowed to vote, there's no way that you were ever going to vote because they would place these financial burdens on you. There's a scene in which Oprah is trying to register to vote and the guy behind the counter is asking her, name the district court judges and recite the preamble to the Constitution. And I was just thinking about today, they're desperate for people to register to vote today. And people just are not turning out in as high a number to vote as should be, right? Whereas back then, yes. they wanted – not only did they want to vote, but it was hard for them. And they still tried and they still figured out ways, whereas it's the easiest thing in the world and so many young people just don't. They were – people were giving their lives mm-hmm. for the right to vote. So not only will this give you a kind of a, a pretty honest glimpse. David Oyelowo was fantastic as MLK. Oh, my goodness. And speaking of Oscar snubs, I went back and looked at the Oscar Best Actor nominees for that year. There were one or two that we could have replaced <laughs> with David Oyelowo because his portrayal of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was amazing. And it's it was such a very – it was a very moving film for me. And a very thought-provoking film in the end because I just sat there thinking, oh, if I – you know, if only I could have been there to march with them when they had this historic march. But then 
you kind of get the slightly disturbing thought after that of, well, not, not really disturbing, but the even more important question, would I have been the type of person that would have marched with them back then? There's no way we could ever know that. But then you can turn that into how do I treat what am I people doing around right me? Now? What am I doing today to ensure that I treat everybody with the same amount of love and respect that I would give somebody in my own family, say, for instance? So this film will leave you asking some really important questions, and it will help you honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in a way that I feel is appropriate. You, I definitely encourage you to look for other ways to honor this special day that's coming up on Monday. Enjoy the Monday off, but also think about why you got it. Right. And it could be something as small as having a conversation with your kids about why we celebrate this important holiday and how we treat each other is so very important. That's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. As Cole said, go out and have yourselves a good long holiday. And we'll be back next week to give you the very best in entertainment here on Screen Cleaning.